Good morning. So today we're going to uh, begin um, this time with an exercise. And I'm going to invite you to participate in this exercise. And by invite, I mean you have to participate in this exercise. Um, and the reason I need you to participate is because when you hear about it, there's going to be a certain number of you that are just like, yeah, that's just not really what I do, right? And you know, you're too cool for it or whatever. And we know how cool you are. We know how awesome you are. Um, but you're going to have to do it anyway, OK? I have a big microphone. I can embarrass you in a lot of ways. So just come with me, and we're going to do this thing. And the thing we're going to do is we're all going to clap, OK? We're not yet. No, 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 not yet. I, you know what? I knew this was the one service. Every other service, they're like, oh, doing that. I'm like, this is the group. They're going to be like, OK, that, that sounds awesome. So, um, so just you know, hold on for a second. So, so we're going to clap. And the reason, at least for the other three services, uh, that it was a little uncomfortable, and it might be for some of you, is because normally clapping you do in response to something, right? Um, so we respond when we hear music, or you go to a concert, you can clap. When you worship, you can, uh, a response can be to clap. When you go to a UT game, you know, maybe you clap um, sometimes. And then. Um, <laughs> They're getting better. They're getting better. So, um, yeah, but, but, but my point is you clap in responding to something, right? And, and right now, I'm, you're, you're, there's nothing you're going to respond to. You're just going to clap. And that's different, OK? You're going to clap. I'm going to clap. Those are the rules. And um, you're going to start when I say start. And you're going to keep clapping until I say stop, OK? Any questions? <laughs> All right. Ready? Perfect. Well done. Well done. Well done. I'm going to be here all week. All right, we'll see you guys. So I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep that in mind as the scripture passage for today comes up. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 19. We're following and continuing to follow the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would lead us, guide us in what it means to follow you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So why clap? It's to illustrate a point. It's a point that is true about human behavior. And if we conclude this Faithful Presence series, both this Sunday and next Sunday, as we bring this to a close, there are certain key things that we have to know about who we are and how we act. So I took a gamble at the beginning of the sermon and kind of rested everything on how clapping would work. And you guys, for the most part, did great. Did exactly what every psychological study said you would do. You fit in with what was going on. Not all of you. But most of us did that. I didn't give you any rules for clapping. I didn't say how to clap. I just said to clap. But when we get in certain settings, we have a default. And that default is to fit in. And so there's a rhythm that gets set. Maybe that rhythm gets set by the person who's supposed to be a leader. And that you should always follow when you're a covenant. <laughs> but I didn't tell you to clap like me. I didn't tell you when I got started clapping faster to clap faster. You just did. You did it together for the most part. I didn't tell you when I started slowing down to slow down, but you did. Because as human beings, one of the things that is most true about us is that our default setting is to blend in in our environments, to go with the crowd, to conform. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's how we learn. It's how we learn to adapt in certain situations. But when it comes to our faith, sometimes that default that ability to be a chameleon, to blend in into any situation, is not the call that's in front of us. It's not the call, for example, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's moments in all of our lives when God is going to say to us, actually, you need to probably be a little different than the crowd around you. Not out of a desire to be different, but of a desire to have integrity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't trying to stir things up. They weren't trying to get in trouble. But when it came to denying their faith, they said, this we can't blend in. Now, that's not because they were better than us. It's not because they were just like somehow different than us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't people that all of a sudden uh, just defaulted to not fitting in. They had to learn that. And you and I are going to have to learn that. It's a discipline we have to learn. Because there are going to be moments when our faith may make us very out of step with the world around us. And our question is, does our rhythm continue and we just kind of go right along with what's around us, whether we're at church or whether we're at work or anywhere else, or whether we're comfortable clapping to a different beat from time to time? It's a decision you're going to have to make. For the last week and a half, I had a chance to experience that in some unique ways. I got back on Friday night. Some people, other people who are here got back on Friday night from our most recent mission trip to our sister church in Lugano, Cuba. I'd never been to Cuba. Cuba, to me, has been nothing other than a political issue that continues to get fought about and talked about even while we were down there. That was the extent, pretty much, of my knowledge of Cuba. But I got to go down, and our church over the last 21 years has now sent 196 individuals down to this church, and it is a beautiful relationship down there. You know, it's a hard thing to decide to go out of the country for a while. It's a hard thing to make that decision. It's hard because, you know, you, you, you have to um, learn to, to, to trust God in a number of things. It costs money. It can cost you vacation time from work. It can cost you uh, with a family uh, 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 being present for your family. Beth was a single parent for the eight days I was gone. That's hard. And it's a hard thing to make those kind of decisions as to how to do it. And so there's all kinds of reasons that we can all look at and be like, oh, I don't want to do that or it's going to cost too much or anything. But I've never heard anyone really that comes back from one of those experiences and says, I just wish I hadn't done it. 
right? It's like the question is, can you get to the point of doing it? But I don't know anyone who comes back from Belize or Cuba or Zambia or other mission partners, both here and abroad, and goes, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of overrated, right? People have different experiences, but that's not what happens. There's some amazing things that take place. For one, you get to meet some unbelievable people, and we got to meet some unbelievable men and women who are following Jesus in Cuba. And they are out of step with the majority culture around them. And they are changing their society in different ways. And they are witnessing to God's love in different ways. And it's amazing the relationships you can make with people who make different assumptions about how to worship or how to follow Jesus or what discipleship looks like. It, it, it expands our horizons, and that's a good thing. It's awesome to make new friends. Seriously, among covenant, it's hard sometimes at a large church with four different worship services to, to sometimes find that pocket of community in there. It's hard to, to navigate those on-ramps into the life of the community. And there were 14 of us who were there. And I don't know if I can speak for all 14, but I think I can when I say that it was an amazing bond that we got to experience together in our eight days together. There were people represented from all four of our different worship services. Many of the people who went didn't know any, really anyone else that was going on the trip. They signed up anyway. There were people there that had been members of this church for over 30 years, and there were people on the trip that just joined last month. There were people there who uh, represented different ages and stages of life, and we came together, and there was an amazing friendship and an amazing bond that formed in those days for which I am incredibly grateful to be a part of. But for our situation this morning, one of the benefits that comes from being in a situation like we experienced in Cuba, participating in some kind of a mission experience like that, is this. It forces us to live out of step with the majority culture around us. It forces us to live out of step. To figure out how we do that with the majority culture. And what I mean by that is people in Cuba live in very different ways than we are. And, and they're all kind of clapping at a rhythm. And you get there going, I don't know how to clap that rhythm. Like, that's not how I live my life. They make different decisions. So how do I navigate this? And how do I make decisions right now, right? For example, um, when people know you're different, it's just, it stands out. So, so we went, uh, a few of us went on a walk on one of our first afternoons there. We had some free time, and it was late in the afternoon. It was before dinner, and we walked around the neighborhood around Luyano, which is a kind of a suburb, a poorer suburb of Havana. And I was worried, like, when we walk out, what if people figure out we're not from around here, right? Because... I was like, I was like, in my mind, going to default to high school Spanish, right? Which was like, I knew, remember like Estudiar, and I remember like hamburger. And those were like the two things, right? And so what happens if someone comes up talking to you, they're going to figure out we're not from here. And it makes you a little uncomfortable to be out of, out of step. Um, and the fact is, they didn't have to come talk to us. The moment we walked out of the door, they knew we were different from how we looked or how we dressed or you know, the way we you know, had backpacks on and water bottles, you know, everything. They, they figured out really quick. And so as we're on this walk, I had like four people who said to us in different ways, they're like, good morning, good morning, good morning. It was like 5.30 in the afternoon, right? I have no idea why good morning was sweeping the Cuban countryside at that point, but it seemed to be. And then you're at that part where you're going like, do I say good morning back? You know, like, do, is, is that what I do? Or do I try to sit there and go, no, 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 it's like 5.30, and so it's a different part of the day, and... Hamburger, right? Like, I don't know how to talk to you in that way. So what do you do? Like, they're all clapping in a rhythm, and you're like, this is just not what I do. It's so good for us, because our default is just blend in, do what everyone else does. And it's wonderful for us as people of faith to be put into positions where you don't blend in. And you have to figure out what to do and how to respond. That's what, in a sense, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have had to figure out. That's what Daniel's had to figure out in Babylon. That's what 
the Cuban churches had to figure out. I didn't know much about the history of Cuba. Some of you might, but, but what, I, what I learned while I was there is that you know, the communist revolution took place in the early 1960s, led by Fidel Castro and Che Guevara and some of the other figures that you may have heard of. They overthrew a very corrupt and brutal Cuban dictator, but up until that point, up until the early 1960s, the dominant religious force in Cuba was the Catholic Church, as it is in many places in Central America and, and, and other spots. But that changed in the communist revolution because the Communist Party is absolutely committed to the principle of atheism. They confiscated the property of the Catholic Church when they took over, and they had oppressive rules, in a sense, that were placed upon uh, other churches that were in Cuba at the time. For example, you were allowed to talk about God and talk about faith only within the four walls of the church. You were not allowed to talk about God outside of church. It's illegal. You're not allowed to pray outside of church. It was illegal. You're not allowed to witness to your faith in any kind of way outside of the church because it was legal. And when I say illegal, the consequences are a whole lot more dire than what you and I can come up with. You were not allowed in, in many ways to talk to someone else if you were walking to church on a Sunday because it could be assumed you were inviting to church and that was illegal. And lots of times it doesn't really matter what you were actually talking about. It's just that you did it. If you were in high school and you wanted to be going to college or consider that and to get into some of the kind of the more honors programs as we would think about it, you had to publicly declare whether you were a Christian or not. And if you weren't committed to atheism, you didn't get in because you weren't an example of what the best and brightest they believed in Cuba was supposed to be. No matter whether you were in it or not, when you applied for college, there was a couple of decisions you had to make. You had to decide what are you going to major in from the beginning. You had to declare that and you also had to check were you a Christian or were you not. And whether you checked that box or not might have consequences whether you got into college. And they knew that for the more popular majors that would lead to the more powerful jobs, you weren't going to get in. When you applied for a job, you had to say whether you were a person of faith or not. And you knew you weren't going to have the most important jobs of working for the Communist Party. You knew that there was a ceiling on where you could go. And what is it like to live in that environment? What do you choose? Do you check the box that says, no, I'm a person of faith, or do you not? How do you advise your kids? as a parent, where you want what's best for them and for them to develop their full potential. What do you teach them in that time? How do you respond? One night, we, a group of us, got to talk with the pastor of, the, of our sister church in Luyano, a really wonderful, amazing man named Pastor uh, Daniel Izquierdo. We asked him about that and said, what, that, what was that like in his life to make those kind of choices? And he said that when he first had to face it, he was a high school student who was applying for college. And he was a Christian, and he had to make a decision on his college application. Do you check the box that says, yes, I'm a Christian, or do you leave it blank? He said the people were looking at him going, don't check the box. If you check the box, you're never going to get into college. It's never going to work out. Your life kind of stops at that point. And Pastor Danielle made the decision to check the box. He said God was with him, and he actually did get into college, but he said he wasn't going for one of the majors that would lead to a job in the Communist Party. So his sister checked the same box later and that she got into college, but later on a job application, she checked the box and it cost her the chance to get a job. It's very real consequences to this. What do you do? Decisions do you make? How do you live? And that time, until the 1990s, when the restrictions on Christianity began to ease a little bit, the numbers of the church dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And in the 1990s, when things began to change, and as some people started coming back to church, Pastor Danielle said that they were dealing with a great amount of guilt and shame. Would they be welcomed back? Would God welcome them back? Had they denied their faith in a way that 
um, had just kind of soiled them or tainted them forever. And he said, one of our jobs as a church was to say, absolutely not. There is no guilt. There is no shame. You are welcome back. It's not you that did wrong. It was the state that put us in this position. When I say the state, until you're there, you don't realize how present the state is in every detail of every part of your life. They are always there. He said, God welcomes you back fully. This is a place for broken people who make mistakes. Welcome. We've been making them all the time. You've been gone. There's no guilt or shame. But he said the truly tragic part, and I really want you to hear this, is that even when they were welcomed back, they weren't the same. He said that was the true tragedy, is that they didn't come back the same. Because they had tried, because they had been forced to do something that is impossible to do, even though it sounds good. They were forced to try to live a separated life where I have my private faith. That Christianity is not about checking a box on a form. You can be a Christian without checking a box on a form. And in a way, that's true. You can just be a Christian in your heart. You can still believe what you believe in your heart and just tell the government what they want to hear. But he said that when that happens again and again and again and again over time, it changes us. It erodes at our heart. It erodes at what we believe because over time, it's not possible to live these kind of two lives at the same time. To say that I have my private faith, but in the public sphere, I'm going to act and talk and live in a different kind of way. And they were forced into it in many ways. And his quote was, when he came back, he said, most of them were a mess. And it doesn't happen quickly. Just drift over time. You just drift over time. And he said that they came back and they didn't know how to pray and they didn't know how to feel God and they didn't know how to walk in community and they didn't know how to share experience with each other. He said for many of them it was like starting over. That we welcomed them back but when they were forced to say my faith stays here but in the public life I will live differently that it erodes at our core over time. They weren't the same. Every day of our lives, you and I face a similar choice. Every day of our lives. And we don't experience the power of oppression, thank goodness, like in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel doing Babylon. And you and I do not face the kind of choice that has taken place for Christians in Cuba. Thank God. But we do make decisions in a culture that tells us the same basic principle, which is this. It is fine for you to think what you want, but you keep that in your heart. You don't bring that into the school. You don't bring that into the place of work. You don't bring that into the PTA meeting. You don't bring that into government affairs. You don't bring that to different places because you're going to make people uncomfortable and it might be uncomfortable for you. So let's just have everyone comfortable. You think what you think and someone else will think what they think and everyone keeps it private, but don't let it come in to the public place of where you work. There is real pressure on all of us and the question that we have to ask every day is do we check the box or not? Do we live a life of holism, a a holistic life of integrity, or do we not? Do we just bend in and go, okay, well, if that's how it works, then I'll kind of play the game. I'll just keep it quiet myself, and I can learn to be a chameleon and kind of go with what the public sector is, and I can just do that, or maybe does God want me doing something else? The beginning of this series, 
We had a young man named Ross Baird that was here. We did a dialogue sermon, if you were here. It was kind of a different Sunday. He and I were in chairs up here. And Ross is someone I've known for a long time. He's an amazing guy. Um, and, and we talked about the fact that he is someone who set up a venture capital fund. And it's taken off, and it's, it's funding things both around America and globally, helping entrepreneurs uh, get small businesses started to raise them out of, of, of cycles of poverty. He's having an amazing influence, and Ross released a book. He was on a book tour um, while he was here. And there were different reactions as there are to every uh, worship service and sermon. There were people who liked it. There were people it was different. There were people who said it felt more like a forum on economics. There were people that, that said that it was like powerful because it talked about their place of work and how to do that. Because we were talking about Ross trying to blend things together, not keeping his faith life and his public life. That was the point. I want to tell you the backstory of what was going on in that. Ross contacted me about a month before and said... So I'm on this book tour, and they heard about me coming, and they said, oh, we didn't realize that you were going through Austin for a weekend, uh, going from Seattle and then going to Washington, D.C., and all these different things to promote the book. And they said, you know, Ross has spoken for the last few years at South by Southwest. I'm like, that's great. It's awesome that you're going to Austin. Um, is this like a contact you made through South by? What's the event that you're going to be doing? He was like, well, actually, I'm going to be um, doing a sermon uh, at a church. And his publisher said, I'm sorry? So yeah, yeah, I'm going to be doing a sermon at a church. Former pastor I knew in Atlanta. And And, uh, his publisher goes, I'm asking you to cancel. I'm asking you not to go. When people from his company found out, they were like, why are you doing this? Why are you going? If this gets caught up as being Christian, it's going to like harm all of us a lot. If this gets caught up as being seen as part of the Christian web, it hurts the sale of People don't want to touch that. I'm asking you not to go. And Ross contacted me and he said, I, you know, I, I'm just trying to figure this out. And I said, well, you know, I don't have a publisher. I don't know how that works. But, um, you know, I'm not trying to put you in a position where it's uncomfortable. So, you know, do what, if you need to back out, I, mean, I understand. I'm, we're, we're not doing this to try to sink village capital. I don't want village capital to be hurt by this. And he said, well, I just want to let you know if you pray for me and I'll pray. And he contacted me a few days later. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come. Told his publisher that. And then his publisher said, okay, okay, but if you're going to go, is there a way for you not to, like, talk about your own faith? <laughs> and Ross said, well, that's contacted me and said, so they're trying to think about the questions and stuff. I'm like, well, Ross, again, I'm not trying to put you in an awkward, but it's hard to do a sermon without talking about faith. Like, that's a very difficult <laughs> thing to do. And so, again, if you can't do it, that's all right. He's prayed about it. And then he came back and he's like, is it going to be on the web? Because our investors might not be happy if this is, like, talked about. And I said, you know, if you don't want us to put on the web. Contacted me back a few days later. We prayed about it. And I asked John and Jill to pray about it, too. Because, again, you're not trying to hurt what they're doing. And he said, Thomas, ask me what you want to ask. I'll be honest. If you put it on the web, do what you normally do. We'll see what happens. I don't know what you thought about that Sunday. I don't know if you liked it or not. And it's all valid. Here's what I loved about that Sunday. That young man sat up here at this service. And he told the truth. He didn't hide. He didn't change his language. He didn't compromise on what has led him to do the work that he's done. He was honest. He made his voice be heard. 
in an industry of the world that says you clap at this rhythm and that's what makes you successful. Ross started clapping at a different rhythm. And you know what the consequences were to that? Nothing. It was the fear of what might be if you start clapping in a different rhythm that had everyone scared. Do you check the box or do you not? Do you live a life that's honest about who you are and what you believe? Or are you more like a chameleon that just blends into every rhythm in any setting that goes in and everyone likes you a lot? We're not different to be different, but we do need to live with integrity if we're going to have any impact on this world. People love the idea that I was created to make it. Your life means something, and it's true. But as Paul says, we're called to shine like stars, and that only happens when at times we're willing to clap to a different rhythm than the background around us. What might that look like for you? We're going to end, as the musicians come forward, by doing a second exercise, and this exercise does not involve clapping. It actually involves the opposite. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about this coming week, even today, but the week to come. I want you to think about your calendar now. I want you to see the faces that you're going to see at work, at school. I want you to see the faces you're going to see in the carpool line or the place where you volunteer. I want you to see the faces that you're going to interact with on the phone and over text message. I want you to think about the people that you're going to see on Instagram and Facebook. I want you to think about your week this week. And as you see those settings, I want you to ask yourself whether you're checking the box of faith or not. I want you to think about what are the places if you were being honest where your clapping rhythm changes to blend in. And then I want you to think about what it might mean in one of those situations, just one, to step out and to clap to your own rhythm that God has given to you. I want you to see that setting. I want you to imagine the anxiety or potentially the fear of what might come from that. And as you feel that and imagine that and see that those are the reasons that sometimes we shrink back and change our wording and change the way we talk or change the way we act. I want you to see and to remember that if you step out in faith, you will not be alone because there was a fourth figure in that fire. that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that that person is the living God who will journey with you as well. Who is a faithful presence to you so that you can be to somebody else. So Lord God, fill us as a people this day with the wisdom to know how to clap faithfully to the rhythm that you have called us into as the people of God and fill us with courage to maintain that discipline when maybe the first thing we want to do is just fit in. Lead us and guide us to 
a holistic existence, a life of worshiping you and standing for something in this world that matters. We pray for this and trust in this in Jesus' name. Amen.